Believe in yourself, reach out for your dreams. Don't surrender, there is more than it seems. Hold on and fight, follow your heart. This is your way, love is what you make of it. Hi, this is Dr. Joe Luciani. Welcome you to another session of self-coaching, where real-life emotional struggle, whether it's depression, anxiety, relationship conflict, losing weight, or simply handling life's challenges are all addressed, teaching you to become your own best coach. Well, welcome back. And I want to start out with a sincere apology. Now, any of you who are regular listeners to self-coaching, or even compulsive listeners who depend on some level on these podcasts, I, uh, I I made a mistake last week. I didn't put put the link in the proper box in WordPress, and and I thought I published the uh, the podcast, and it did not get published. I didn't realize it till midweek. I think it was Thursday, and I did publish it. And I do apologize for not being on target with my podcast. So, if you were wondering what happened last week. It's my fault. How, how do you feel about making mistakes? I mean, I, I, to me, that was a stupid mistake. And you kind of, you know, you kind of grab yourself and you kind of shake yourself. And, you know, we're not supposed to make mistakes, right? I mean, that's that's the format from, from which that comes. I'm not supposed to make mistakes. And I guess we're saying that there's a part of us that is, you know, kind of wagging a finger. We should be uh, more on top of things. We should be more in touch and more perfectionistic, perhaps. But such is reality. And when we stumble, it is always remember, always worth remembering that stumbling isn't falling. So I did post the podcast. I stumbled, and I then posted it before I fell. But today I'm back on track and I'm glad that you are joining me once again. I'm I'm really delighted to see that uh, the, this podcast is now being heard one way or another in over 70 countries around the world. And I know for a lot of countries, including here in the U.S., the Northeast, we are experiencing heat upon heat. I hate it and I've grumbled about it. And uh, after after realizing yesterday that uh, this heat wave is really all across Europe, from Spain all the way across Italy to Greece, and uh, you know the hundred degree temperatures all around uh, in Italy, I know that uh, that there hasn't been rain in so long in months that the uh, the risotto crop is in jeopardy for the next couple of years. Say it ain't so. Well, let's let's all think rain, and maybe collectively we'll we'll have an influence, whichever deities are in charge of allowing those those drops to fall from the clouds. Last night that was an interesting night. I was sitting out uh, on my son's deck with my son Justin and Samira, his wife and my wife, and we were just talking about lots of things, and the conversation got around to psychology. And, you know, everyone's interested in psychology and, you know, the different the different things that people go through and, and, you know, what psychologists have to say about such and such. And my son asked me, he said, well, how would you describe psychology or what you do as a psychologist? 
And I thought about it for a moment, and, and I said, I try to impart the psychology of common sense. And that, that sounded very reasonable to me. And, and I thought, yeah, that's exactly what I do. I try to teach common sense. Now, before I get into explaining why I later found out that I had some trouble with that, that concept of whether psychology is all about common sense or not, uh, let's talk a little bit about this thing we call common sense. And that's today's, the, the nature of, of today's podcast is common sense. And what is it? Does it exist? And is it really common? I guess a definition would be that it is. it has to do with sound judgment that's derived from experience rather than study. So it's the experiential knowledge that we feel is a collective shared perception of what's common sense, what most people believe. But yet, when you think about it, what most people believe is kind of cultural, isn't it? I mean, for many, many year, centuries, the earth was considered flat. I mean, that made common sense. People would stand on the beach and they'd look out at the horizon and they'd say, it's a flat earth. Right. I mean, some people still believe that it's not considered common sense today, but there are a few flat earthers. What about cannibalism? Now, it doesn't make much sense. It's not common sense, but there are cultures and cannibalism in Africa was, you know, where people would consume bits of bodies and heads because basically if you if you ate a part of your enemy, your deceased enemy, you would absorb their vitality. So there was a common sense about cannibalism, right? I mean, this was a cultural thing. And I would guess most cannibals shared this belief, as did the flat earth people. Is common sense a fallacy? You know, and I think it's important to try to recognize that when we try to apply this to psychology, does it make common sense to use this in the sense of trying to overcome the struggles, the emotions, the anxieties and depressions of people who do struggle. I was reading a, a blog by Jeremy Dean and he made, he made a, a quote that I thought was quite fascinating. He said, if you wanna see a psychologist's head explode, tell them that psychology is just common sense. Well, I guess there are many psychologists who believe, you know, they rely on their, you know, their, their dogma and, you know, the collective unconscious, the id, the ego, the, the different manifestations in schools of psychology. And I guess, I guess it seems somewhat demeaning. My original concept last night that I was discussing with my son and daughter-in-law, it seems demeaning that we're, we're diminishing or reducing what psychologists do to just teaching common sense. Well, let me argue that point, because I think that psychology does teach common sense and needs to. When I work with patients, it just seems to me that, first of all, they're dealing with not common sense. And what I mean by that is that neurosis, if we will use that term very loosely, is often a, a contamination of the past with the present. So our common sense, if you are neurotic, 
if you are contaminated by the past, what seems to be your common sense is not your neighbor's common sense. So neurosis, and, and I use the term neurosis, uh, I, I'm, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a tough word because we kind of know what it means, but let's just use that term very loosely right now. So neurosis then is a contamination of our perceptions for the person with obsessive compulsive disorder. It may make perfect common sense to them to, to wash their hands incessantly or organize their desk with the meticulousness uh, and patience of Job. But that makes common sense to them. Now, to an observer, of course, it, it does not make common sense because why would you have to wash your hands for 15 minutes when doing it for, I, I once heard that you, you should wash your hands and, until you could sing the verse of happy birthday. I don't know how long it takes to get the dirt off your hands, but let's just say there's common sense that we wash our hands and happy birthday to me. <laughs> and when we wash it for 20 minutes, then, then we would say that that's not common sense. But again, and I ask you to think out of the box, what's your common sense is not someone else's common sense. And when your common sense happens to be contaminated by neurosis, then, of course, your perception of what is common sense is very different. Now, self-coaching, my theory is that the past, as we grow up, we develop habits, habits of control. And that's all based on insecurity. Everyone has insecurity. And you hear me say this every week. No one escapes insecurity. The world itself is filled with challenges and crises. And we have illnesses and deaths and not perfect parents and all that kind of stuff. So insecurity, which is synonymous with vulnerability, leads us to want to control, be more in control. Because vulnerability makes us feel out of control. So we, we tend to compensate by trying to get control of our lives. Makes sense? Common sense, right? So we, we develop strategies of control. That begins at an early age, and it becomes embedded. These become habits and strategies. And there are many, many different ways that we protect ourselves from those vulnerable feelings. And we protect ourselves by developing strategies of control. One of the most ubiquitous of all the strategies of control is worrying. Others might be withdrawal. Uh, others might be hostility, pushing people away. There are many ways that we try to control our feelings of vulnerability. Just go to a playground and, and watch, watch how children try to just, you know, take charge of their lives. Some will be leaders and some will be followers and some will just be off to the side. And, you know, so we develop these strategies of control and they make perfect sense to us because they reduce vulnerability. See, that's the key. So these habits that come along with us, these strategies of control, I call it the child reflex. So as we graduate to adulthood, we bring these habits with us, and that's that child reflex. That's the vestige of our old history, our history of protecting ourselves from vulnerability. It makes common sense to, if you're an anxiety person with a lot of vulnerabilities, 
and you worry about what might happen next week, next month, that makes common sense to you. Because basically, according to the child reflex, you're doing something, you're trying to protect yourself, you're anticipating. And to some extent, you know, worrying has that uh, double edge, you know, on some minute level, it does help us a bit. And but it does make us feel less vulnerable. I mean, at least we're doing something rather than doing nothing. So that's our common sense slash personal sense. We could say that, well, everyone worries, and it's true to some extent. It's always on that continuum, more or less. Some people worry. So on some level, we might apply the notion of, quote, common, end quote, sense to the fact that, well, everyone worries. So it's common sense to worry. Now, here's where I come in with the psychology or my psychology of common sense. Yes, on some small level, it makes sense to worry because it makes us alert, uh, especially to potential danger, that true danger that exists. But as, as that progresses to, to more of the uh, neurotic area where that child reflex comes in and sees danger in safe places, that's where common sense is really not so common because it becomes very personal at that point. Maybe what I'm talking about is practical sense. You know, common sense has to do with the collective, what most people believe. And to some extent, most people believe that we shouldn't have to struggle. We shouldn't be obsessive. We shouldn't be perfectionistic. We shouldn't be depressed, shouldn't be anxious. That, that, that's kind of a common sense notion of things. But when you're doing therapy, I think it's important that we cut to the chase and realize that what we're trying to do to alleviate emotional suffering is to replace emotional suffering with practical sense. Now, to me, when I work with a patient who is very anxious, who is very obsessive, who is very panicky, it doesn't make practical sense to be supporting that, to be reinforcing the problem. It makes practical sense to figure out what you can do about it. And that's why I say it's the psychology of common sense, but now I'm going to change it to the psychology of practical sense. Because it doesn't make practical sense to have your life hijacked by insecurity, by self-distrust. What happens when we don't develop that self-trust muscle is that we tend to rely on trying to control life. And that's, you know, what anxiety and depression is all about. It's, it's where the stress of trying to over-control life has really whittled our life down to symptoms you know, obsessive symptoms, uh, just worrying about things, anticipating, withdrawal, pulling away from life, beating ourselves up. So we've lost the practical sense and handed ourselves over to the impractical sense of listening to what I call the child reflex. And I know if you've been listening to my podcast, you know all about the child reflex, but let me just give you the cliff note on that. We grow up in a world where insecurity is unavoidable. 
we are just not uh, overly protected. We don't have wings to fly away or claws to protect ourselves. So we, we have this thing called our brain. And we're born into a world of vulnerabilities. No one has perfect parents. We get sick. We have lost disease. All these kind of things challenge us growing up. And what happens when we get challenged is that we develop uh, a need to try to regain some control over these vulnerabilities. That's practical sense. Now, what's not practical is that this initially is a way of trying to survive. It makes sense to do things that quell our feelings of anxiety or vulnerability. But these things become habituated. And over time, we start to see danger in safe places. And we start to almost not care whether it's dangerous or not. We're still going to employ our worrisome habits, our anxieties, our depressive habits. So we become more or less victims of our habits, the child reflexes. And the reason I call it the child reflexes is because these things were laid down during our developmental years. That's why they're, they're so embedded, so difficult to challenge. What happens as we grow up is that we become passive to these habits, these reflexes. And, and like a knee-jerk reflex, it's, these things happen just below the surface of consciousness. We just react the same way and again and again and again. So the child reflex will go on and on because we are passive to it. And the reflex just takes over and we're in the back seat. The need to over-control life eventually is stressful. Worrying is stressful. Being anxious is stressful. Being depressed is stressful. So over-controlling life begins to bring us to our knees. The reason this happens in the first place is because by developing these strategies of trying to control life, we are abandoning developing our truth strength, which is the self-trust. We've long ago abandoned adequate self-trust in favor of trying to control life. So you can't have it both ways. You can't have self-trust and you can't be trying to overly control life because the person who's trying to control life is a person who doesn't trust that they can handle life. With adequate self-trust, you assume you can handle what's coming around that corner. With inadequate self-trust, you don't assume any such thing. You anticipate chaos. And therefore, you brace and you prepare and you worry and you rehearse and you do all these things because you have to protect yourself. So to the neurotic person, it makes perfect sense to protect themselves from perceived danger. Perceived, that's the operative word. Again, it's danger in safe places. Now, even if danger does come around that corner, the person with self-trust relies on their instincts, their intuition, their survival capacity. And with that self-trust muscle, they're able to not have to live their lives in anticipation. They're able to be more present, more relieved of those anticipatory expectations. So if your life is not being lived more presently, it's being lived in some way, shape, or other of anticipatory worrying, fretting, or even retrospectively regretting, you know, then you've, you've more or less handed yourself over to the child reflex. 
And we can't blame the child. Again, the child just instinctively just tried to find ways to not be vulnerable. But now as an adult, you do know better. But since the child reflex, those, those kind of insecurity-driven attempts to over-control life, and again, worrying is the probably the most um, common of the worry strategies of the um, of the insecurity-driven strategies. I said, Kat should say, we rely on our strategies of control. We don't rely on our genuine capacity to handle life because the self-trust muscle has atrophied, and we're trying to just be safe. So that makes sense to us, and. Someone might say to you, I worry all the time, but you know what? That's common sense because I'm just trying to protect myself. Well, yeah, it's common sense to want to protect yourself. I would say most people would subscribe to that, so we would call that common sense. But most people wouldn't subscribe to worrying about a boogeyman that may never show up. That's not common sense. That's your common sense. It's not your neighbor's. So what what's what what can we gather from this kind of convoluted discussion today? Well, one thing we can gather is this: that insecurity will twist your life in such a way that it seems it seems reasonable to you and practical to you to be neurotic. And I mean that sincerely. I have often experienced with patients that a lot of times someone doesn't come into therapy to want to be healed. They just want to become better neurotics. And I say that very sincerely. They want to get better. So their worrying is more effective and they don't have to lose sleep at night. They don't want to give up their compulsivities, their negative habits, oftentimes, not always, but sometimes, you know, people come into therapy for the wrong reasons. They really don't want to change. Like I said, they just want to fortify their controlling habits to be more effective. So in order to get someone to change, first of all, you have to let them understand that clinging to a controlling, and again, I qualify an over-controlling way of life, because controlling life, there is a healthy side to that, you know, the seat belts, the brushing your teeth and preventative stuff. But the over-controlling life, the neurotic need to control life, that's going to go on and on. We don't need to get that better. We don't need to increase that capacity. We need to challenge it. And it feels very risky. You know, for someone who has lived with their child reflex their whole life, abandoning that child reflex and self-trusting, you know, just kind of winging it and allowing self-trust to take the center stage, it seems very threatening initially. And that's why I always say you've got to start out small. You've got to prove it to yourself that if you if you do nothing, sometimes that's doing something. If you don't worry and you put yourself at risk and just show up for that appointment and see how you handle it, well, that's going to feel risky. But I think you'll find, as most people have found, that you, you're at your best when you're not overly rehearsed, when you are spontaneous, when you are trusting your instincts and intuitions. So the trust, self-trust muscle is so pivotal in developing your own practical sense. And we want to make sure that we are not talking about a distorted, insecurity-driven sense of what's right and what's wrong. So when we come to the concept of common sense, well, very loosely, 
I would have to say that in therapy, the common sense is that struggle, unhappiness, that doesn't make common sense. And anything that doesn't make common sense has to be challenged. Now, I think that that's not a profound statement by saying that common sense is that we should be happy or more happy or less, less taxed by struggles, by anxieties, by depression, by panic, by compulsivity. I think most people would say, tis better to be happy. That's common sense. Now, the practical sense has to do with how you arrive at that. And the practical sense needs to be that you need to realize that if you're feeding the insecurities, if you're feeding the insecurity that drives the need for over-controlling life, then you're going to suffer more. Your life is going to become victimized and your struggles will go on and on and on. So in that case, it makes practical sense to learn to become more active, I call it active mind, and overrule the inclinations toward reflexive, insecurity-driven responses to life. That's common sense. Well, Joe Luciani's common sense, <laughs> but, but it's practical sense. It's practical sense to, in my view, my self-coaching philosophy, it's, it's practical sense to learn to risk self-trust. Anything else, relying on your controlling strategies, is an abandonment of self-trust. So you can't go north and south at the same time. You can't build self-trust if you're relying on over-controlling life strategies. You can't have it both ways. If you want to learn to be more courageous and to handle life on the fly, which releases you to live your life more peacefully in the present, which, I may add, offers you the opportunity, the grand opportunity to experience this thing called happiness. Because happiness resides in the present, not in the anticipatory anxieties of what's to come tomorrow, what was yesterday. Just like my regret for, for not producing that podcast. Once I got into those regrets that I screwed up, that I made a mistake, I was abandoning my opportunity for peace and serenity in the moment. I was dealing with the incriminating thoughts. Why did I do that? I shouldn't have done that. And that's my child reflex came into play. Now, fortunately, I know a little bit about this reflex, and I realized that I was being passive. I was allowing myself to beat myself up and put a stop to that. I wouldn't permit that any longer. I wouldn't follow that train of thought. And I moved on. I instead decided that with self-trust, yeah, okay, I'm not a perfect person. I will make mistakes. I will stumble. But as I said, I will not fall. You fall when you concede to insecurity. And then rather than courageously going forward, you regress. You become more entrenched with trying to over-control life. You become more entrenched with recognizing that, that you're no match for life and that unless you have your controlling strategies in place, that uh, you'll never be really safe. You just have to ward off the slings and arrows that come your way. 
But the person with self-trust, again, he's, he or she is in that present moment because, because they believe, they have the self-trust, the practical sense that they can handle what comes their way based on personal experience. Now, you may say, well, my personal experience is rather shabby. Okay, well, we've all had ups and downs. We learn, we grow. Sometimes we don't grow when we avoid building self-trust. But now is the time to recognize that if you've been victimized by the child reflex, that child, that historic child in you who decided that the only way to feel less vulnerable is to control life, to over control life. Well, now you can be in a position to override that with mature, healthy thinking, active mind. With the child reflex, you're in that backseat, you're passive, you're a victim. And insecurity is driving the train here. You're in that backseat, you're just the passenger. Getting up in the front seat, grabbing that wheel, taking charge of your life, that's, that's saying to yourself, what I need in my life is to develop self-trust. Because with self-trust, life becomes manageable. How do I know that? Well, because that's what you trust and believe. It's a leap of faith. You can't know everything, but you can know that you're going to give yourself the proper opportunity to handle life rather than the neurotic opportunity. So keep it in mind. I mean, I think that practical sense, and whether we call it common sense or practical sense, it's still what I believe in, it's what I try to instill in the patients I work with, that the practical sense is we've got to figure out how you're feeding the child reflex, how you're feeding your insecurity, and what you can do to develop self-trust. So you're either feeding or starving the child reflex. And if you're feeding it, then that doesn't make sense. That doesn't make practical sense. And that's the argument I have. It doesn't make sense to beat yourself up. It doesn't make sense to worry about something that may never happen. But we do it because we're passive and because it's our habit. And like any other habit, it becomes less than conscious and we just reflexively react again and again and again. But again, these habits were laid down long ago when you were a wee little kid and you've been clinging to them and embellishing them and enhancing them, and your life is becoming more and more constrained by these habits of over-controlling life, by these habits of insecurity. So does common sense exist? I guess to wrap things up, I would say it's, it depends. It's relative. Common sense just means that most people of one given culture believe it to be one way. We, we can't argue with a cannibal and say that it's not common sense because to the cannibal, it's common sense to take a, a bite of an arm or something. <laughs> well, let's take the flat earth person. I mean, it just, to them, it, it defied common sense that the earth wasn't flat. So what's common sense today? Well, it'll change. Tomorrow will be something else. Uh, Democrats, Republicans, they all have their own view of common sense and will argue, well, it's only common sense. Okay. But 
your political view is common sense and someone else's political view is common sense. So what does that mean? That there is no such thing as common sense? In a sense, that's true because it's all relative. It's relative to the group that you are defining as the, quote, common in the common sense. But it, it varies. So forget common sense. No, no, don't forget it. I mean, I want you to be common sense, but, <laughs> but, but use it loosely. Common sense is doing the practical thing. Remember, it's doing the practical thing. It's sound judgment derived from experience. You know, we want to allow our experiences to help us. I mean, you don't touch a stove after you've been burnt. That's common sense. Most people would subscribe to that. There are probably a few people here or there that, you know, like feeling the uh, the burn. But for, for most of us, it is, again, sound judgment. Uh, and that's derived from experience. And when you are influenced by the culture around you, then you start applying that, that it's when you say it's common sense, you would, you're more or less saying that most people would believe my, well, my view is correct. Well, okay, but it's relative. Let's, let's not get hung up with how that intertwines with psychology. In, in psychology, let's call it practical sense, personal practical sense. What's practical for you is not to continue to reinforce insecurity, period. That's not practical. That's sound sense, practical sense. You're either feeding or starving. And if you're feeding insecurity, then shame on you. It's not practical. I hope, uh, I hope it made some sense. I know it's kind of going around this concept. It's, it's, rather, it's, not, it's not a straightforward concept. Most people use the term, you know, without really considering. Uh, when they say it's common sense, they're more or less assuming that the whole world agrees with them. And I, up until last night, I kind of thought that way, to be honest with you, that, you know, you would say, well, it's common sense not to do ABC. And you kind of feel like most people are going to agree with that. Well, sometimes yes, sometimes no. So, you know, see the relativity in what you feel is your common sense. But when it comes to psychology, when it comes to suffering and your own happiness, let's, let's deal with practical sense. Are you feeding or starving? And once again, to reiterate the most important point of this talk today, if you're feeding the habits of insecurity, you will go on struggling. Your job is to learn to starve, to not become a participant in those insecurity-driven thoughts. Thoughts do matter. Every thought matters. So the more you start to think clearly and maturely and abandon and make yourself actively abandon the insecurity-driven thinking, the more you're reshaping your brain and you are neutralizing the child reflex habit. I don't know if we ever extinguish it, but we can neutralize it. And we are instilling a new habit, one of self-trust. And with self-trust is the genuine capacity for liberation and happiness. So until next week, why don't you take a look at my website, selfcoaching.net, where you can learn more about my self-coaching philosophy. And you know what? I'm still not clear on what's going on with the distribution of my book. It's supposed to happen any day now. Hopefully, the physical book will be available. It's still available on uh, Kindle. 
If you want to talk to me, uh, reach me, uh, start out with self-coachinghelp at AOL.com. Comments, questions, feedback, ideas for new podcasts, or let me know how the weather is in your neck of the woods. Uh, it's pretty hot here today again, up around 100. I'm in North Jersey, and I don't know about this weather. I'm getting a little cranky. <laughs> but I'm not going to feed my, my child reflex and become a victim. I'm going to do something constructive like this podcast. So be well, take care of yourself, stay cool, stay hydrated. And until next time, remember that being victimized by emotional struggle, well, it's not an option. And by definition, victims are powerless and you are not powerless. So remember, everything's hard until you make it simple. So join me every week. How about we make it simple together? In yourself, reach out for your dreams. Don't surrender, there is more than it seems. Hold on and fight, follow your heart. This is your way, life is what you make of